Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our weekly Bible study and current event study for September 30th, 2007. And uh, today we're going to first get into a hate crime bill update, and we're, then we're going to segue into some other things that relate to that. And this week I received an email, and this is from like the, I don't know, National Prayer Network. Uh, nobody else has reported on this uh, uh, that I've seen. I mean, I haven't seen one other Christian organization even mention this. And it starts out by saying, by a vote of 60 to 39 this morning, Senators Kennedy and Smith hate crime amendment was attached to a Defense Bill Authorization Act. Uh, remarkably, Senator Byrd of West Virginia, who was a habitual supporter of the hate bill, voted against it. If only more pro-hate bill senators, or uh, Democrat or Republican, had been persuaded, either by massive calling during the last week or an impassioned attack on the hate bill, the hate, will, the hate bill would have then been destroyed in the Congress. In other words, there was what they're trying to, to uh, get to here is that there was no public outcry on this whatsoever. It was, it was very well hidden, actually, this bill. Says it would have been resubmitted to the next Congress under the stigma of having been rejected six times. In other words, it's already been rejected five times in our country. We've already we've already rejected it five times. But Kennedy and these wicked uh, politicians that are behind this keep trying to railroad it through. And what they did now is they attached it through this to this Defense Authorization Act. They what they'll do is they'll bury it in a piece of legislation, and they'll be very low key about. Uh, when they're going to try to push this through legislation, and this is how they, they get things passed. So if we go further with this, uh, it says, yes, the president has promised to veto today's hate bill victory, but at the same time, the hate bill, through passage now by both House and Senate, is energized and dignified as never before, to be easily ratified in the, in the next Congress little more than a year from now. Now, I've done a whole study on this before, and uh, it's up on the Sermons Audio site. Uh, has to do with, I, I forget the exact title, hate crimes and how it's going to ban the Bible, this type of thing. So, if you want to get more of the full lowdown on the actual nuts and bolts of the hate crime bill, you can go there. But essentially, um, when this hate crime bill passes, what's going to end up happening is, is if they enforce it, the way that it's written, the Bible will have to be banned. Now, I'm not saying they're going to come right out and say, the Bible's banned. I'm not saying they're going to do that initially. Because Satan is the most subtle beast of the field. He's going to do this incrementally. But the mechanics are all in place to ban the Bible. Particularly the King James Bible. Now, a lot of these new versions, you know, like the NIV and these other ones, that are all spawned from the revised version of 1881... A lot of them have already removed the language that's that's offensive to particularly the homosexuals. Uh, they've also done a lot to remove the deity of Jesus Christ and a lot of other things. That The NIV alone has removed 64,098 words to be exact, which is almost 10% of the total text. So, um, the King James Bible I view as, as going to be the main target, uh, almost by default, because of, of what it says. Because it names sin as sin, and they don't want that to happen. This is going to be considered a hate crime. So if we go further, uh, credit for this hate bill victory must largely go to the repeated impassioned speeches by Senator Kennedy and Smith. But leaders of the religious right and the Republican senators are, by default, just as responsible. Uh, 
Since the Defense Appropriations, Appropriations Act was introduced 16 days ago, opening the possibility of a hate bill attachment, there has been an astonishing lack of consistent warning from the leaders of the religious right. This has grown even more acute since Monday, with a virtual blackout of warning from all the new uh, websites that are, that are basically on the religious right. Now, they've got two other articles we're going to look at briefly. One, one is entitled, Do the New Right Leaders Want the Hate Bill Passed? And then another one, The, the Hate Bill Ready for, v for a Vote. We're going to look at those in a second here. Going further, it says, As a result, the millions of calls which might have been generated amounted to a relative trickle. Only at the last minute yesterday, when it became virtually impossible to influence today's Senate vote, did the new right leaders send out the calls to action. Well, what does that tell you? These, these 501c3 corporate entities that call themselves ministries in America, they're totally in bed with the government because the government gave them the right to exist, which I see no biblical precedent for that in the Bible whatsoever. Not one time in the New Testament did, it, did, did the New Testament ever command that you go to the government and ask for your, your ability to exist as a ministry or whatever. They basically went preaching house to house. They had home churches, things of this nature. Okay, um, Which I think, you know, we, we see a lot of the, the, the modern-day home church coming, and that's what, you know, basically what we have here to a certain extent. Um, when I preach to you every Sunday, um, this is a very sad thing, because these 501c3 entities are so far in league with the government and these types of things, and the Internal Revenue Service, it's like being in the mafia. They're in so deep, you can't really get out once you get so far deep into something. And they're not going to speak out against these types of issues. So much of the time, with their preaching, the things that they're preaching about aren't going to offend anybody anyway. Smiley Joel Olston's not going to offend anybody. You know, a lot of these guys that, that are doing the uh, in the pulpits and things of this nature, yeah, they're preaching nice, flowery, fluff, fluffy messages that really aren't going to offend anybody. So I feel I feel as though they think they don't really have anything to worry about. You know, hey, we're not going to we're not going to get all political because really the, the reality is is they're not supposed to influence things of a political nature um, if they're a 501c3 entity under the Internal Revenue Service. They can lose their tax exempt status and many churches are finding that out right now. There's been a couple this year that have, that have lost their tax-exempt status because they spoke out on issues that were deemed um, political in nature to influence legislation, and they're not supposed to do that. See, they're the ones that signed the agreement with the government to get in bed with them. Okay? So, the chickens are coming home to roost, but I think a lot of these, these ministries are just going to stand mute. Well, there's going to be a lot of blood required at their hands, because the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And can you imagine being one of these multi-million dollar ministries and having all the resources they have? Do you know how much good they could do if they applied that? You know, here I am on, on, a, on a Sunday, um, we have this little um, home Bible study and these types of things, and, and, and we're trying to, to get the word out and the message out, uh, but we don't have any budget or anything like that. These ministries have the the uh, ability to reach. I mean, I 
millions. But they stand mute. The Bible says judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And judgment's coming. And it's going to get real ugly. And we deserve in America everything that we get. Basically. Is how I feel about it. Um, I'm not saying that the, the true remnant, the ones that are really living for Christ, deserve to be. But I'm talking about the vast majority of the lukewarm sheeple that are warming pews and the pastors that are basically leading them to hell. They're hirelings, as the Bible says. And a hireling has no true love for the sheep. Jesus Christ said that. A true shepherd says, will die for the sheep. But a hireling, what is a hireling? What does that imply? It implies he's been hired for money. He's doing it for money. And this is the problem that, that we run into in this country. Um, their hirelings are doing it for the money. They've been brainwashed in the cemeteries. For the most part, I'm not, I'm not making a blanket statement on every single person or every single preacher. I'm just saying the vast majority. And uh, this is the situation that we're in. So there's been basically no public outcry about this. If we go further, it says, Such dereliction of duty was reflected on the floor of the Senate this week by a silence of the senators well known to oppose the hate laws. Day after day, they ignored invita invitations to speak to the Senate against the hate bill. Both, both the new right leaders and the Republican senators represent themselves as watchmen on the wall, guardians of our freedom. Yet God told the prophet Ezekiel that if as such a watchman he knew the enemy was coming and yet did not sound the alarm, he would lose his eternal soul. Well, let's just look at that real quick. Ezekiel, you can pick either Ezekiel 33 or 3. Let's just go to Ezekiel 33. We'll read that. Ezekiel 33. And we'll just kind of uh, go to... Let's see here. Well, let's just go to verse 3. Ezekiel 33. Or, or verse 2, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast, and set for him their watchman, if, the, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet, and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come, and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and he took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. Okay, now, I don't want to get into so much uh, of, a, uh, of a salvation issue here in regard to this verse. But, I think the precedent is here, that when you're exposed to truth, and you do nothing about it, and you, and you, and you take no action whatsoever, and you die because you didn't act upon truth that was given you, this isn't even being destroyed for lack of knowledge. Which would be a better excuse to have if you really think about, according to Hosea 4.6. Um, this is actually having the knowledge and doing nothing with it. Which is what the vast majority of the Christians in this country 
are doing, if they do get any. I mean, I'm not saying that they've been exposed to true, full truth, but they haven't sought it either. Verse 6 says, But if the watchmen see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come, and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So, that's a warning to the watchman. Saying, basically, you better, if you are a watchman, you better blow the trumpet and sound the alarm when you see the sword coming. So, it goes on to verse 7, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Again, this is the second warning to the watchman. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn away, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Okay. Now, the only way you're going to deliver your soul in this dispensation is through the Lord Jesus Christ, His shed blood, His death, burial, and resurrection. So I don't want to go into the fact that now we have salvation by works. I'm just talking about there's a, there's a scriptural tenet here to observe. Um, and then this is in verse 11, it says, I say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is where we get this verse from, where God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Okay, so, this is why you warn people. You know, if they are wicked or whatever, whether they call themselves wicked or, or righteous, you warn them so hopefully they'll turn from their wicked ways. So if we go further in this article, it says, For the past several weeks, both Christian and Republican leaders have seen the enemy coming. Yet they did not sound the alarm in a timely and effective way. For this they will have to answer to their creator for. Meanwhile, all Americans are now very, very much closer to having to answer to the federal thought police for every idle word that is not politically correct. See, this hate crimes bill actually goes so far as to, and I got into this in the last teaching on this, um, it got so far as to basically, and so audacious to say that there's certain thoughts that you're not permitted to have, essentially. If you feel this way, it's still a hate crime. Your thought, that's how far they're going to try to carry this. You know, there's, you think about it. It's a no-win situation trying to placate the devil. He's always going to require more, every single time. So, you know... It's always going, if, if the devil is in charge of anything, he's always going to take it to a, to a point where you're either going to have to bow down and worship him, or you're going to have to go the other way. And whatever, whatever it takes to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, whether that requires your life, whatever, that, that's the situation that we may, we may all be placed in very soon. I don't know. I don't know. But this country is ripe for judgment. This is another article from this uh, that relates to this, and it, this is, uh, was entitled, The Hate Bill's Ready for a Vote. We surveyed 38 senator, senators and found the same relatively small protest we reported yesterday. A few offices said they had received many calls. Most reported only a few. There is no strong outcry because la large Christian conservative organizations are still failing to provide up-to-date warnings. 
visit the following organizations' websites, and you'll be astonished at the total lack of timely warnings as of Tuesday morning. Now, this was published on the 26th of this month, so a few days ago. Um, they list Focus on the Family, Concerned Women for America, American Family Association, Traditional Values Coalition, Faith to Action, and the Family Research Council. Now, these are the big ones up on the Internet that you can go to that a lot of times will put out this type of information, but there was basically silence on this issue. And this is about as important as anything that's, that's come about lately. This morning, a Christian activist friend called Family Research Council, desperately trying to reach anyone uh, to write an emergency alert. She told the FRC that, that to protest the hate bill... Um, she told FRC that protest to the hate bill was small and conservative leaders are doing nothing. And then she pleaded with them, this, this organization, this Family Research Council, Christian. She says, can't you do anything? She pleaded. And they told her, we're keeping a close watch on these events, he said, displaying the same wait-and-see attitude that has allowed the hate bill to get this far. I mean, why would you wait and see? Unbelievable. If this legislation rattlesnake is given life by the Senate, and it has been, as we've already talked about, even and even if Bush vetoes it, it won't lie still for long. It will rise poisonous and deadly the first week of January 2009 in the 111th Congress. It will have the power of legislation already passed by the Congress of the United States. It, they, it will then be rapidly passed and signed into law by a uh, most likely a pro-hate bill president most likely they're predicting Hillary. So see, what they're doing with this thing is they're setting the stage by, by ratifying it in the Congress and the Senate. They're giving it validity now. They're giving it prestige. Okay? So, well-meaning but short-sighted conservative leaders may be saving their readers flagging energies for a defeat of the ENDA, which is an Employment Non-Discrimination Act, which is another bad thing. Yet it will almost certainly pass the House of Representatives as it as the hate bill did in May, then in the Senate end it could also be very, very hard to defeat. So what they're doing is they're, they're just pigeonholing um, the people through these legislations, and, and eventually, you know, I think reading the Bible, eventually these are going to pass, because the Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, and this is the time that we're living in. So, going back to this, it says, meanwhile, if the hate federal hate crimes bill passes tomorrow, freedom of speech will be on the way to extinction. The very arguments with which the conservatives oppose ENDA and homosexual activism will quickly become illegal. Oh me. They will be despised as hate verbal violence. This is why we're going to look at what the Bible says about the homosexuals, just as, as an example of this. Um, and first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue into that with a little article from Battle Cry that I just received. And it's entitled, this is their last version, I just sent this out on email the other day. Uh, it's entitled, uh, Modern Tolerance Does Not Include Bible Believers. So far in the United States, Bible believers have avoided paying fines for speaking out against homosexuality. But in a recent case in Houston shows just how one-sided the tolerance is. A local gardening service called the Garden Guy, Inc., run by Todd and Sabrina Farber, was approached for a bid on a gardening service job. After discovering that the couple desiring the bid were homosexual, quote, partners, 
Sabrina sent a polite email to them that they chose not to work for homosexuals. This refusal triggered a firestorm of intolerance. The couple began to email begin an email campaign to stir up the boycott of the garden guy. So in other words, the gays got all offended. Okay. They can do whatever they want. They can they can shove this down our throat with all their agenda. They can have their gay parades and go out there and dress up in, in their S and M stuff and all the guys can be French kissing one another in front of everybody and in front of in front of children. That's okay. But when somebody comes out and basically uh, says we don't want to, we don't we don't do business with homosexuals because they have a backbone. Oh, that's oh no, that's that's intolerance. That's that's a hate crime. There, this is this is what why I just said what I said because this is where the rubber meets the road. If this hate crime were to pass, okay, and it's probably only a matter of time before it does. <laughs> They'll actually have teeth now. These homosexuals will really be able to go and say, hey, listen, they violated this legislature, and they need to be thrown in jail or whatever. This will be a federal crime. Federal. It's not just a local, civil thing. It's federal. Okay? So you'll, you'll be subject to go, you know, to all the things that are of a federal nature as far as being punished. And again, I get into that in the last, uh, the last teaching we did on this. If we go further, it says all the um, all the abusive terms were thrown at the farmers. Now this this is okay. It's okay for the for the homosexuals and, and the sodomites and these types of people. They can say whatever they want about us. They can call us every name in the book. Okay, that's okay. Is if we do one little thing that upsets them, evidently they view us as as as. Um, people that just need to cow down to them and accept them at, at any cost. And you know what? <laughs> There's going to be a certain amount of people, and I believe it's the true Christian remnant, that aren't going to do this no matter what. It's not going to happen. The um, All abusive terms were thrown at the farbers by these homosexuals. Um, they were called homophobes, bigots, and and then including a challenge to their brand of Christianity. Some even made physical threats to kill them and to sodomize their children. But see, that's okay. You know, that, you know the, the, the thing about the homosexuals and, 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 and the sodomites, their true colors come out so easy. You know why? Because they're so stinking demon-possessed to the toenails. Because you got to be. In order, in order to participate in that lifestyle, have no conscience of it, and basically just, I mean, man lying with man, woman with woman, and then it's, it's a proven fact that the majority or, or a, an un, a disproportionate percentage of pedophiles are also homosexuals. It's like 30 to 40 percent. And yet, supposedly, homosexuals are only 2 to 3 percent of the population. Why is there such a disproportionate amount of pedophiles that are also homosexuals? Because it's a demonic problem. That's what the Bible calls it. It's a demonic problem. So, um, yeah, they, they threatened to even sodomize their children. Oh, that'll show them. That, that's, that's, that's all class right there. That's pure class on the homosexuals' parts. But the thing is, is that's the thing about them, is their true colors come out so easy. All you have to do is say one cross word, word to uh, any of them, and the demons come to the surface. Oh boy, it's not too hard to get their demons fired up. 
because they're demon-possessed, essentially. Fortunately, the Farbers live in a city that has not included sexual orientation in its, in its anti-discrimination laws. Several other cities in Texas and around the country have included homosexuals as another, pro, quote, protected class, along with the race. It's not, why, why would they make them a class? It's a choice they've made. But see, no, no, they say that we're born this way, and all this other stuff. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There, there are actual homosexuals that, not many, but there are some that have actually come out of the movement and are actually born-again Christians now. There are not many, but there's some, okay? And that just proves that the Lord has the ability to deliver even a homosexual. Okay, now, I think of all classes on the planet, they're the least likely to get saved because they're the most demonically infested. Okay, proportionately as a class, because the Bible talks about giving them over to a reprobate mind and these types of things. Um, but this is a choice that they make. Now I understand. I understand that it's a proven fact that that most homosexuals were abused by a same-sex partner at an early age. Okay, I understand. That's not their fault. I understand that. Okay, and that's a very very sad thing. It's a terrible thing. Okay, but I think we also need to be honest about what this problem is. When you sodomize, or when you have sex with a young child at an early age, you're demonically infesting them. It's well known in the occult that if you want to demonically infest or corrupt the little child, that, that, that that's what you do. You, you sodomize them, you have sex, you do all these manner of things. If you want to really mess a kid up early, really, really, really bad, that's what you do. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord Jesus Christ does not have the ability to forgive this or to deliver somebody from this. Okay? But by putting them in this, this, this protected class, this also would be a protected class like, um, you know, race and these types of things. Going further, it says, such laws forbid businesses to deny service to anyone who belongs to to one of these classes. When the national news begins to pick up the story, Christians weighed in on the Farber side. In the end, the garden guy got a lot more business than he lost. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad he did. I mean, I, I'd go to this guy in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'd go out of my way to go to this guy because he took that stand. I mean, that's great. Um, but, see, it's going to get so bad with the employment end of it let me just read that last line. Um, now, these, these laws that, that would protect homosexuals would forbid businesses to deny services to anyone who belongs to one of these classes. Another thing these laws are going to do is they're going to basically warrant or mandate that, um, depending on the size of your business and these types of things, that, that you're going to have to hire these homosexuals and these types of things, in your, but whether you like it or not. <laughs> that's why I guess I'm just, uh, you know, not big on any type of corporation, you know, as far as uh, having a business or whatever in this country, because, you know, it's going to get to a point where they're going to mandate things that you can do, you know, or try to mandate things that you can do with your own business, which is ridiculous. So, going further, the militant sodomites wanted more than just acceptance. They are determined to silence anyone who disagrees with them. 
supposedly including God, which is never going to happen. Homosexual legislators and their sympathizers in government are currently pressing for the hate speech laws to silence everyone who speaks out against their perversions. And this is what we just talked about. That's why I thought this was appropriate to read today. Now, let's just read. Let's just go ahead and see what the Bible says about this. <clears throat> I think I've got... I've only got three of these. Um, the, what the Bible, let's just kind of look to see here what the Bible says, because if you've got like an NIV or one of these other Bibles, some of these other Bibles have really taken out all references to uh, any kind of, um, and this is exactly one of the reasons why Satan is behind these Bible versions, because if you can water down the Word of God, it's not the Word of God anymore. It either is the Word of God or it's not. Okay, it's black and white. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So, in Corinthians, um, I believe this is 1 Corinthians, I forgot to put the thing there. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adult nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, these last two categories would, would fall into the line of, you know, with the homosexuals. Now, effeminate wouldn't necessarily have to be a homosexual, okay? It, you, could, you could have a man that, that has no backbone whatsoever be effeminate, okay? He could have, you could have a man in a relationship where the woman ruled him with an iron fist and he wouldn't stand up to her if he, you know, which is totally unbiblical. So, effeminate also a lot of times can apply to a homosexual. Homosexuals tend to have, when they have partner things, one of them tends to take the more masculine position, and one of them tends to take the more feminine, uh, subservient position. Okay, this is how evidently they justify things. and, and uh, Because you can't have, you know, anything with two heads is a monster. So, you can't have two overbearingly dominant people at the head of any relationship. It's, it's never going to work. Even in a homosexual relationship, it's not going to work. Okay, so, the uh, if we go further, it says, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, that would, that would definitely fall into the reference of, um, you know, the homosexuals. And then it says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. If we go to Romans 1... 26 through 28, Romans 1, 26 through 28, says, For this God, for, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. Now, this is basically leading up to this. These are people that worship the creature more than the creator, and basically became unthankful, which is one of the, the things that, that um, will, will lead people into, up to this. Um, so it says, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural, their nat did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly. Okay, again, we have reference here totally to the homosexual lifestyle and receiving in themselves that recompense of error which was meat. So, 
when it says which was meet, that means proper fit or apt, suitable. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now this is one of the reasons why they hate the Bible so much and why they would hate a Christian so much. Because a true Bible-believing Christian would, would remind us uh, a homosexual of their destiny. The Bible would remind them of where they're ultimately going. Okay, which is hell. That's where they're on their way to. Okay, now I'm not just saying, you know, the the homosexuals are on their way to. They've chosen this lifestyle. They've chosen to turn their back on God. They've chosen to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's the you know ultimately, the Bible says, "For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." Okay, so I don't want to get too far away in saying you know our salvation is works based, but. When you're in this lifestyle, and you're participating in this, and, and, and you stay in this lifestyle, how could you possibly be a born-again Christian? I mean, how, how is that? If the Holy Spirit lives inside you, how could you be doing this and having no conviction of sin? Or, or not wanting to get out, or stay out, or make this change, okay? I just don't see how that's possible. So it says, okay, so if we repeat that, um, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. See, God let this happen. Just like He's going to let it happen in Second Thessalonians. Let's just read that real quick, because that's very appropriate as well to the day and time that we're living in right now. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. This is, this is in regard to the end times, okay? This is in regard to when the Antichrist makes his big debut. Verse 8, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Basically in reference here, uh, most likely to the Antichrist. Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, Signs and lying wonders. Okay, this is the time we're moving into. Verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. See, in order to get saved, you have to receive the love of the truth. The most important truth that, that you need to receive the love of is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Um... Then it says in verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, that's, that's not the homosexual lifestyle. I don't know what is, having pleasure in unrighteousness. And notice in verse 11 it says, And for this cause God shall send them the strong delusion. See, God's going to be the one that does this. So, when we, when we read in, in uh, going back to Romans, when we read, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, this would be like verse 27 or 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. So, see, God's permitting this to happen, just like He's permitting it to happen in 2 Thessalonians. Okay? Well, how could a loving God do that? You made the choice. We all make choices. Okay? And, and we're going to have to um, 
bear the fruit of those choices, one way or another. Romans 1.32 then says, Who knowing the judgment of God... See, they know deep down the judgment of God. They, they, know, they know deep down. They can, try, they can try all they want not to retain God in their knowledge. And I'm not just talk, talking about gays. I'm talking about a lot of people out there that would just be living wickedly or whatever. Um, but, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So, one of the things you'll always see with the homosexuals is, is they want everybody to accept them as they are, and they want to recruit as many people into their lifestyle as they can. Because if you think about it, how can a homosexual organization increase its numbers? If a man lies with a man, how are they going to have a baby? Or a woman lies with a woman, how are they going to have a baby? They can't. Well, they've got to recruit then. They've got to go a different way about this. So, they're relying on recruitment, and the more people that are there, birds of a feather flock together, um, misery loves company, there's all these, these, these cliches that you could think about, but the more people that they have in their organization, the better they feel about their own sin, because they say, hey, look, everybody else is doing it. And we can come out of the closet and not have to worry about nothing. There's nothing to be ashamed of. God made me this way. That's an abomination from the pit of hell. To say, God made you that way. He made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's the deal. Why would... God is not the author of confusion. Homosexuality is confusion, if you think about it. How could, a world, how could a world go on? And, and what is always the end sin that God judges a nation for? Typically, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where we get the word Sodomite from. Sodom and Gomorrah. What did God do? Well, he rained fire and brimstone down on them. Killed everybody, essentially, other than, you know, Lot and his daughters. Um, his wife got turned into a pillar of stone. So... Isn't there all these things in the New Testament we can look at where, you know, God judged the Sodomites and these types of things? Well, we're going to look at that a little bit right now. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay, and um, this verse, Doug made a good comment here that when, when we read this verse, um, when it talks about who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them to do them. You know, if, if you're up there listening to, you know, like one of these talk shows, like Ellen DeGeneres, who's, a, who's an avowed lesbian, or, she's not probably the only one. But, you know, if you're, if you're watching that type of stuff, you're actually, you're, you're, it's almost like, you know, you're taking pleasure in these types. I mean, I can't even stand watching, I'm sorry, but I can't. I, 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 there's something that's very, very, very offensive to me about the, uh, the homosexuals, because there's so much hypocrisy, I guess, one of the reasons. You know, they want to be able to shove this stuff down our throats, and for us to accept them unconditionally. But we can't have, we can't do the same. They're held to a different standard in their own eyes than we are held to. And that's the essence of hypocrisy. They have a totally different standard. They can live like the devil, do whatever they want, threaten to sodomize our children, or do whatever... And yet, we're supposed to accept them unconditionally. I don't think so. I don't think so. 
Now let's see what the Bible said about about the homosexuals in um, in the Old Testament. Let's look about let's look at this. And we're not we're going to basically just look at the judgments. Leviticus twenty thirteen says, "If a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, in other words, if a man lies with a man, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death." Their blood shall be upon them. Now, I'm not saying we're under this dispensation right now. Okay, I'm not saying we're supposed to go out and kill. You know, there's a lot of things that, that are guidelines in the Old Testament. Um, the, the, the Levitical dietary guidelines. There's a lot of wisdom there. Does that mean if I deviate from the Levitical dietary guidelines, I'd be put to death? Okay, I mean, Sabbath is a great issue. <laughs> We've I, I've, I've had taken a lot of heat this week for the for the uh, thing I put up there on the Sabbath. But, you know, hey, if you're going to do the Sabbath, you better do it the right way. <laughs> or you're going to be put to death. You know, where do we draw the line here? I mean, uh, when, when we start talking about the law. So, in this instance, they were to be put to death under Old Testament Levitical law within Israel. Okay, that's how it was. That's not, well, you can get mad at me all, all you want. This is God's rule book. It's not mine. This is how it was. I'm not saying it's like that now, but does it still make it any less of an abomination in God's eyes? Leviticus 18, now this is a very, very interesting portion of scripture. I saved this for last. Leviticus 18, 22 through 30. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. So we're talking about homosexuality here. Neither shall thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith, which is bestiality, lying with an animal. <laughs> okay. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Remember what I said before? Homosexuality and these types of things are confusion. See, God made your body for a certain purpose, as for, and if a man is with a woman and these types, that's not confusion. They have compatible parts, okay? That's the way God designed it, okay? But when a woman would lie down with a beast or a man with a man, it's confusion. It's against nature. This is why they called um, things like, like um, this type of crime... A crime against nature. This is what sodomy was referred to as. Okay, And we've done a whole other teaching on sodomy. If you want to know the true meaning there, uh, you can listen to that teaching on, on the sermon's audio. So, if we go further, defile, this is Leviticus 18, um, verses 22 through 30, defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these nations are, for in all these nations, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. In other words, he's talking to the Israelites here. The, Lord, the Lord's talking to the Israelites, and he's basically saying, don't do these things, because I had to cast out all the nations before you, because they did do these things. And it says, don't defile yourself. Well, what does that imply? That, defi that implies that you're corrupting yourself. You're defiling your body, your temple. Okay? And then it says, in the land is defiled. So see, here's another thing that, that never gets talked about in modern day Christianity, hardly. Do you realize that when you commit these types of sins, okay, um, particularly something like bestiality or homosexuality, 
You're not just defiling your own temple. You're not just defiling whoever you was with them. You're defiling the land. It says it right here. The, and the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. I just wonder, in America, with, you know, probably approaching now 50 million abortions since Roe versus Wade, or 45, I don't know, 4,000 every day in America. All that innocent blood crying out from the land. All that innocent blood. All the sodomy and all the perversion. All that... What does that ultimately end up doing? It defiles the land. And then it says, And the land itself vomiteth, vomiteth out her inhabitants. I just kind of wonder when we got that coming in America. When is the land here in America going to vomit out its inhabitants, because the land's been defiled, and the pastors have pretty much stood silent. The, the, they, they, should be, they should be the main ones warning, as far as the watchmans and things of this nation. They're not doing it, as we just talked about today. They, they couldn't even muster or garner anything to, to speak out against the hate crime bill that got railroaded this week. Because of their 501c3 status, through the Internal Revenue Service, they're technically not supposed to be talking about these issues that we're talking about today. Because they chose to get in league with, this, with the government in this corporate entity. Okay? I know I talk about that a lot, but I want to also always bring it back to where the rubber meets the road. Why are things the way that they are? Okay, Well, I view the two main things is, is this... Um, the incorporation of the church, where you have to go to the government to get its existence. Well, if something gives you your existence, they have a right to tell you what to do and what you can and can't say. And also, them reading their perverted Bibles. These versions that have removed references like this, or verses like this, or at bare minimum, watered them down. These are two of the main reasons why America's in the shape it's in. And you just wonder, you look at this, and you see the land is being defiled. And then the God says, and I will visit the iniquity thereof upon... See, it's only a matter of time before God visits this iniquity. He can't just let it keep going on forever and ever. He's got to judge it at some point. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. So I expect the judgment to primarily fall upon the pseudo-church in America first. It wouldn't surprise me, I mean, because judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants... Then we go further with this verse. Ye shall keep, therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. So again, it doesn't matter who's doing it doesn't matter if it's Israel or some other nation. When you do these things, you're defiling the land. And it's a matter of time before the land is going to vomit you out. And then we go further. That the land spew not you out also when ye defile it. As it spewed out the nations that were also before you. Here it goes again. It reiterates the fact that when you do this to the land, when you're doing these deeds in a land... It's a matter of time before the land will spew you out. Okay? 
I never heard I never heard a uh, sermon preached on this, but it's it's really interesting, you know, because I think it's so appropriate <laughs> to America. And then it says, for, for whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them, shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore shall ye keep mine ordinance, that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs, which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. So I think God's pretty clear on that. Okay. Uh, as far as how he feels about homosexuality, and, and you know, there were other sins mentioned before that, but I, I, I didn't want to get too far off track there. Now, just going to finish out with this little thing from, from the battle cry. Um, I'm going to start where I, a little bit before where I left off there. The militant sodomites want more than just acceptance. They are determined to silence anyone who disagrees with them, including, well, they think including God. Homosexual legislators and their sympathizers in the government are currently pressing for hate speech laws to silence everyone who speaks out against their perversions. We just talked about that. In other countries where such laws have been put in place, soul winners, quoting the Bible, have been arrested and charged with incitement to hate. See, it's already happening in other countries. They have, there have been a few cases in this country, but so far our constitutional freedom of speech has dismissed the charges. This may not continue to hold if Bible believers do not let our elected representatives know where we stand. Well, there's also, what's more important is praying, humbling yourself before God, and repenting. Because you can let your elected officials know all you want, but that's going purely from a secular standpoint. I think it's good to let them know. I think ultimately, though, the only way we're going to accomplish anything as a Christian, as, as, as a remnant of Christians in this country, is through prayer, through humbling ourselves and repenting. You know, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from them, you know, that verse. So, um, I think he left out a little bit there, but if we go further, the Great Commission is our mandate from Jesus. But the freedom to carry it out must be protected. Meanwhile, um, Jesus said to work while it is yet day. See, the night is coming where no man can work. It's coming. Okay? This is what I... When I see this stuff about the hate crime, that's the verse that always comes into my head. The night is coming when no man can work. Meanwhile, Jesus said to work while it is yet day. We need to redeem the time by sharing the gospel every chance we get. In our hurried lifestyle, it is often impossible to stop for a discussion, but it only takes a couple of seconds to put a tract... A, a gospel track in their hand, we know that their blood is no longer on our hands, uh, potentially. Okay, because I'm not 100% sure, you know, with the Ezekiel 3 and 33, how that plays out in the New Testament dispensation that we're in right now. Okay, we're going to find out of the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, the Bible says that some will be saved, yet so as by fire, and some will have all the work, works burned up as wood, hay, or stubble. Um, but some that have actually built their works through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, will have you know gold, silver, and precious stones. And they will not be burned up, but they will actually be refined by the fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? So, now, we're going to go further now. And along these same lines, I just received a, a lot of different little things that confirm what we're talking about today. This is an article I received um, from Tex Mars. It's called, The Christian Establishment, Greedy, Ignorant, and Apostate. And it's also entitled, True Christian Believers Are Not Welcome in Most Churches Today. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 5.11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So see, this is what we do basically on a weekly basis here. We're trying not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. The people in this, in this little um, Bible study we're at, uh, we've come out from among the 501c3 church, okay? Um, and when you have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, it says, but then rather reprove them. Reproving them would, would imply rebuking, shedding light on these things, and that's what we do on a weekly basis here, okay? We, we're trying to make light of these things that's going on um, in the, quote, Christian establishment. This article starts out by saying the Christian establishment is asleep, ignorant, apostate, and dead. However, the Christian church is awake, aware, holy, and alive. Now, this is the true Christian church. There I've said it, and I meant every word of it. If you are a member of one of these thousands of churches that are part of the part and parcel of the Christian establishment, now, he really needs to get a little more specific, because it should be the 501c3 Christian establishment. Okay, The 501c3 corporate Christian establishment. Then he says, I warn you, get out now, leave Sodom and Egypt far behind, and enter the light of true Christianity. Do it today. Now, I totally agree. When you make the step, because everybody in this room that we're in right now has made it, what's going to end up happening is, your eyes are going to start to becoming opened about things that you really weren't aware of before. And I know it's the best thing I've probably ever done since I've been saved. There's a feeling of freedom that you get when you're not fettered through the corporate church mentality anymore. The browbeating about, one of the main things, it is browbeating about money given. Browbeating about, well, bless God, you're not saved because you're not doing this. And it's, it's as though, I mean, we've just, the people... The, the, the uh, particular churches that uh, we came out of, we got a lot of that. Now, maybe it's not that way with every church. Okay, maybe there's certain churches that would harp on this or that. But the ones that we came out of tended to harp a lot on works-based salvation. And you're not giving enough. You're not doing enough. You're, you're probably not even saved in these types of things. But the Bible says again, for you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any measure boast. I find the reason that a lot of these churches do this is, number one, they're greedy. And number two, if they can keep you beaten down and browbeaten all the time, then you're going to think, oh, I'm not doing enough, and what a terrible Christian I am, and I've got to do more and more, and it becomes a works-based religion for you. Now, I'm not saying that if you're, if, if you're not doing anything for Christ, that's a good thing. Okay, I'm not saying that. But, so much of the time, the pastors and the preachers or whoever's doing this, I, they themselves are total hypocrites. Because they're in this 501c3 system. They're, 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 we've, we've went over all these points about, about the 501c3 church. So many of the times they're not even reading the right Bible. They've got all kind of sin in their own lives, and yet they sit here and judge, and it's like it's like the Bible talks about, when you have a speck in your own eye, and you're judging, uh, or if you have a beam in your own eye, and you're judging the speck in your brothers. This is, this is what you get into a lot of times with the, with the preachers. Most of them are hirelings that have no true love for the flock, and a lot of them are even beyond that, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. 
hireling would be the least of, 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 of the things to, to worry about. The wolves in sheep's clothing are even worse. So if we go further, uh, this is from Tex. He says, it's been over 20 years now that Wanda and I went into the Christian ministry full-time. And in these past two decades, I have regrettably become a heart-sickened authority on pastors and ministers, quote, reverends, which is not a biblical term. I have a whole teaching on that. Reverends, theologians, and other priests of the devil who pretend to be Christian, tragically, of the hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of these would-be pillars of the Christian world that I would have encountered in my labors, I can probably count on my ten fingers the number of godly men and women I have met in the ranks of today's vast majority of foul-minded, grotesque clergy. Now, he's talking about, he can count on his hand, on his ten fingers, godly men and women within this system. Okay? I'm not saying they don't exist, and he's not saying they don't exist. It's just that if you stay in something and it's corrupt, eventually it's going to corrupt you. That's why the Bible says, Wherefore come out from among her, you know, my children, and be not partakers of her plagues. Then he says, On the other hand, I have been pleased and honored to meet and profit spiritually from fellowship with untold numbers of little known, unheralded, and often much despised true Christian believers. Well, the Bible said it was going to be this way. The Bible says, Narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, few there be that find it. Um, you know, he that is highly, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Well, that's what you have today with your modern day TBN-like um, 700 club ministries. These people are highly esteemed among men. Okay? But the Bible says that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So, if we go further... To my amazement, I found that rarely are true Christians ordained pastors or theologians. True Christians are never invited to speak at the pulpit of the, of the establishment churches. The 700 Club and TBN would not dare to have a true godly man or godly get, woman guest on their milk toast, silly hoaxer TV programs. No, they're going to tickle your ears. They're going to do whatever they can to get your money. You watch these shows, it's always about the money. Every time. I just turn them on just to see how bad it is sometimes. It's always about the money. And they are so... 700 Club is one of the best as, as far as extracting money. They've got this thing now that I've seen them do where they, they have all these people that come on there and give their testimonies. Oh, and the moment I started tithing or started... I doubled my giving or tripled my giving to the 700 Club. I, 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 I had this unbelievable business deal that came. And, and, and I'm so blessed now. We're, we're, now we've got this big house and all these cars. Probably financed to the gills. You know. Yeah, you see, I mean, I saw, it, it's so subtle. It's so subtle when you watch these shows. I mean, it really is convincing. i got to admit, they do a brilliant job. If you didn't know any better, I mean, you'd think, um, you know, this was the way to go. And then he goes on to say, um, almost everyday power prophecy hears from sincere, faithful, Bible-believing Christians who have been told by New Style pastors that they are no longer welcome at their churches. They say, you're too old-fashioned. They're told, you're too set in your ways. Well, that's what, that's what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says, wherefore seek ye the old paths, wherein is wisdom. 
Okay. The old past is where we have the wisdom. The old ancient landmarks. That's what the King James Bible is. It's an old... It's the old paths. Okay. And, you know, God is very black and white. I'm sorry, he's not gray. There's not a lot of issues in the Bible that are gray. He goes on to say, Anyone who refuses to go along with the hip-hop and rock music, who believes in such a thing as sin, or concepts like judgment, heaven and hell, who sticks with the King James Version, who complains about the modern, God wants you to be rich dogma, or believes Jesus is the only way to salvation, is in jeopardy of being told to hit the road, you're not our kind of Christian. Well, you know what? If they tell you that, they've done you a favor. They've done you a favor. If you're gonna if you're gonna stand with any kind of morals and, and on, on the Bible at all, you're gonna be told this at one time. And you know what? They're doing you a favor. Thank God. What we have today are legions of devilish politically correct, because they have to be politically correct. Remember what I said before. You take that 501c3 corporate status, you're not supposed to be preaching on things of a political nature. Politically correct establishment pastors and leaders who don't care a plug nickel for Bible truth. These are the goats that Jesus divides from the sheep. Am I being too hard on these poor 21st century so-called Christian leaders? Then he goes on to say, no way. These big name liars and pretenders are, work are workers of darkness, masquerading as angels of light, ministers of unrighteousness, and we owe them nothing but contempt. Who did Jesus come against the hardest in the Bible? Who did he who, who, did, who did he basically scream at and call serpents and vipers? Pharisees and the Sadducees? The people of his day that, that were basically the modern day equivalent of 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 um they would they would be today the modern day equivalent of Bible believers. Okay? Of course they had added to a lot and had done a lot of things, and uh, had, had put their own interpretation on a lot of things. This is where we get things like, you know, the Talmud and the Kabbalah and the Midrash and these types of rabbinical... Okay, they had put weights on men that no man could bear and these types of things as a, man, as a means of control. But that's who Jesus came against the hardest. I didn't see him really going to um, the prostitutes or the tax collectors and screaming at them. What, what did he do to the money changers in the temple that had turned his, his temple into a, and, and basically into a den of thieves? He overturned the money changers' tables and scourged them with a whip. I didn't really see get Jesus Christ get fired up from that standpoint. Anything more, the, the thing that fired him up the most was this very thing we're talking about today. The modern day equivalent of, that's what made Jesus Christ mad. Really mad. He didn't go to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and, 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 and condemn them further. They knew that they were, they were in the state that they were in. He didn't have to. But see, a religious Pharisee doesn't think he has a problem. No, I'm a man of God. I am holier than thou. Approach me not. I went to cemetery and got brainwashed. I'm better than you. I know the scriptures. I know the Greek and the Hebrew better. You know nothing. I'm not saying they're all like that, okay? But I'm saying some are. Some are that bad, okay? And if we go further, it says they're walking side by side with their master, Satan, and millions of souls are perishing because of their greedy, wicked conduct and stupidity. Why should you and I, 
honor the obedient servants of Abaddon and Apollyon. <laughs> if we talk about that in Revelation 9.11. Then he goes on to say, let me, dear friend, give you just a few examples of the slothful, unseemingly willful ignorance of such men. This is a pretty good example. Several years ago, I was invited to dinner at the home of a prominent Austin, Texas physician and his wife, both of whom are Christians. At that dinner was their pastor, a man who led a large evangelical congregation of Bible, uh, of a Bible church located in Westlake Hills, one of Austin's most affluent and ritzy suburbs. This pastor had previously been professor of the theology at Dallas Theological Seminary, an acclaimed training ground for evangelicals and especially for Christian Zionist types. Introduced to this pastor as, as the author, he asked me what types of book I, books I wrote. And then and the text said, I expose the New Age movement. He goes, this pastor says, New Age, what is that? <laughs> he responded, a puzzled look appeared across his face. Seeking to avoid embarrassing this man, I simply suggested to him he might find New Age Lies to Women, which was a book written by his wife Wanda, of, of great interest, particularly since he had taught particularly since he had taught the old the Old Testament at Dallas Theological Seminary. The book I assured him examines and discusses the unfortunate revival in America of the ancient worship of the great goddess. Okay? Which we can see a lot of that in the Old Testament. And this guy supposedly taught Old Testament at Dallas Theological Seminary. Seeing once again a look of bewilderment on his face, <laughs> this is unbelievable to me, I decided once again to try to help him out of his difficulty. And I said, you know, Pastor, remember the goddess, the Queen of Heaven, mentioned by the prophet Jeremiah? Where the woman of Israel angered God by baking cakes as offering to her, right in the temple. Now, if you look at that, that's in, um, it's either Jeremiah 14 or Jeremiah 7. Okay? If we look at that script, portion of scripture, the judgment for that um, was that it got so bad that God said, don't even pray for this people. This is one of the few times in the Bible where you'll actually see God saying, don't even pray for them. They've gone across the line, it's too late. Okay, he doesn't say that very often. He doesn't say it very often. If you if you think about it, he says it. He makes reference to it in First John five, where it says, "If you see a brother that sin, sin a sin um, unto death, you shall not pray for that." And he also makes reference to it in Jeremiah seven, Jeremiah eleven, and Jeremiah fourteen, where he says, "Don't pray for this people." One of the sins that they were doing is they were making cakes to the Queen of Heaven. And they had also sacrificed their own children and done a lot of other abominable things. Okay, The Queen of Heaven is no different than, than the um, goddess that the Catholics worship, and they call Mary. Okay, But again, that's a rabbit trail. We don't really have time to go down today. But anyway, so he, he says, You know, Pastor, remember the goddess, the Queen of Heaven, mentioned by the prophet Jeremiah, where the woman of Israel angered God by baking cakes as offerings to her right in the temple? And the pastor says, And of course I added... There is the Apostle Paul's controversy over Diana. Oh no, this is even better. Okay, and of course, and this is text talking here. And of course, I added there is the Apostle Paul's controversy over Diana, the great goddess of the Ephesians, as discussed in the Book of Acts. 
this pastor said, taught at Dallas Theological Seminary, you know what his response was to this? I've never heard of those things. Quote, <laughs> Are you sure you're not making this up? Oh, wow. And then he goes on to say, Friends, I later found out that at that very time, this apostate minister was introducing Jewish dance into his church ritual, and the congregation at his church was eating it up. Well, I'm sure they're full Christian Zionists today, if not full-blown Messianic Jews, probably. And the many more abominations were going on in his ecumenical worldly church. I remember the last church that I was at, I went up to the pastor. We were talking one night, and there was, there was another guy there that, that knew the Bible. And we were talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And we, we, the pastor was there listening to us, and we said, um, we were talking about you know, being saved, yet so as by fire. Like, like the Bible talks about in the judgment seat of Christ. And the pastor got this real puzzled look on his face. He says, where does it... Yeah, I never heard of that. The guy that was... We didn't even know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I, 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 I was like, oh, okay, uh, next question. <laughs> I didn't know what to say, I really didn't. Um, and uh, I left that, that church over a matter of that they basically wanted to retain uh, Christmas. And uh, I basically uh, left that church because of that issue. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me, because that's what actually got me doing what we're doing today. So the Lord will use these types of things to get you out of, out, of, out of a situation. And I don't view it any of it like a bad thing. I view it, I view it all like, praise the Lord, he, he did this in order to bring me out of this. And a lot of times what I found with the Lord is that He'll make a situation so unbearable for you that you'll have no choice but to leave. You know, and that's a good thing if you really think about it. It may not be pleasant at the time when you're going through it, but hey, you know, that's how God does things a lot of times. So, going further with this, it says, now this is text talking, he says, now, and I will say this, I just heard from, from Doug yesterday that, that, what was that one thing on, um, a video that he did on, um, well, we, we want to just preface this by, um, Doug had just seen a, a video, and, uh, where text basically started out where, you know, he said, I've been accused of anti-Semitism and these types of things, and he wanted to clarify the point, and to be quite honest with you, I've been... Uh, a little suspect of that myself with some of his writings. I don't think he's he's clarified it quite enough, but he did say on this this video that um, when he's making reference to these evil uh, Zionist type type Jews that they're referenced to, the ones that basically run the com- country of Israel and these types of things, he's making reference to those that are of the synagogue of Satan, which the Bible's very 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 clear about. You know. Um, that say they're Jews, but they're not. He's not in reference to the everyday Jew in Israel, like he hates them or whatever, and he wants to see them die or something. He's, he's not in reference to that whatsoever. And I think the, the problem has arisen in his ministry where he's not quite made that clear enough. He, you, you, would almost, you would almost really need to preface everything that you're saying when you talk about the Jews in that light. Because if somebody only sees one article that you that you wrote and you don't make mention of that, there's going to be a lot of people that get the wrong impression, okay, about that. So, you know, in his defense, I just wanted to say that, and I'm glad he came out and finally said that because I, I wasn't aware of it. So anyway, going further, it says a little later. This is text. He says I met up with yet another learned 
would-be Christian teacher, a well-known Southern Baptist pastor from Roswell, Georgia. This guy went on to become the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, He, too, said he didn't know what I was talking about in regard to these things in the Bible. Or, or All this fellow seemed to know about the Christian faith could be found inside the covers of the latest Norman Vincent Peale or Robert Schuller book. And then he goes on to say, I can tell you this, I would, I would trust a man with a third degree education who actually read his King James Bible far more than I would trust any of these ignorant men who have the PhDs, the DDs, and all the other degree acronyms behind their names, and yet have never read once the Holy Bible in its, in its entirety. In fact, I can't seem to find but very few pastors today who even believe in the Holy Bible anymore. They don't. They don't believe it. They almost universally claim the scriptures have errors and mistakes that they, they and their crummy theologian pals need to fix. But we're going to talk about that in a second more. I asked one of these lukewarm pastors who called in to complain about me on a talk show in Phoenix, Arizona, which Bible did his professors at the seminary teach from? His answers were none. We never read and studied the Bible. We used books written by learned men, the scholarly. <laughs> Can you imagine the arrogance and the audacity? Can you imagine the punishment from God? At the great white throne judgment? Because these, these guys aren't saved. There is no way. If they never went by the Bible, how did they ever get saved? We go by scholarly men? The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. That's what the Bible says about trusting in man, or going by scholarly teachings. Could you imagine that? This guy, he, he's, he's a pastor, and he says, We never read and studied the Bible. We use books written by learned men, the scholarly. That's incomprehensible. And then text says, Well, I retorted, there's your problem. You claim to be a minister and preacher of God, and you don't even know God's word. You only know the words of men. Revelation 18, 4 and 5 says, Come out, come out, from, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Now when we talk about these sins of homosexuality, and all the abortions, and all these other things, see, this is when the Bible talks about where the sins reach unto heaven. It's almost like when the land becomes defiled, it's almost like these sins start piling up and piling up and piling up until they finally get to the point where they almost reach unto heaven. From a spiritual standpoint, that's what's happening to this country. We can't see it, but it's more real than we know. Because the spiritual realm is really more real than the realm we live in, in a way, because the spiritual realm is the eternal realm. It's going to be what, what, what has always been. Heaven is an eternal realm, these types of things. So, her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Now listen to this part. This is even Well, actually, I tell you what. Let's go real quick. Let's go off into a little tiny segue here, because we've just touched on this, and I don't want to get too far off this subject. I think this is appropriate to talk about right now, because we just talked about this preacher that um, never read the Bible. Well, there's, there's other types of preachers that say they've never seen a Bible. Did you know that? Christians, never seen a Bible. Let's talk about that.
Preachers all over the world are telling their congregations, this book in my hands is not the Bible. Surprised? You shouldn't be. But don't go looking around, go, don't go looking them to say it out loud. It's much more subtle than that. The first clue will likely be in the church's statement of faith. Okay? So if you're going to a church right now, you might want to look at their statement of faith and see if it matches up with what we're going to talk about, because many do. The first clue will likely be in the, ch the, the church's statement of faith. If you see, see if yours reads, if the, if the statement of faith of the church you go to reads, quote, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God without error in the original manuscripts. End of quote. Sounds good at first glance, but wait a minute. Only in the original manuscripts do we have the... Only in the original manuscripts... Do we have the original manuscripts? No. And how would you make a Bible from the original manuscripts anyway? You would have to find a way to bind together stone tablets, rolls of animal skins, papyrus, all into one book. If you think about it. Yet that is precisely the Bible that many people believe is inspired. A non-existent book in totality, composed only of the original, the originals handwritten by the prophets and the apostles themselves. So the only perfect Bible that thousands of churches and colleges claim to believe in doesn't even exist. Now remember what the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The Bible also says in, in um, Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, For the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So see, God's promise to preserve His words from the generation, this generation, forever. Forever, O Lord, thy words are settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, against God. So see, this is very, very important to understand these concepts, because God's promised to preserve His words. And then He says, say this out loud to yourself, there has never been a Bible composed of original manuscripts. That would mean you don't really have the Bible either, if you believe that. This is the big secret hiding in these statements of faith. The only Bible that they believe is perfect does not exist. That's what, the, you know, um, we had a preacher at a um, church, Todd. The church he ended up going to, this was what was in their mission statement. I remember that. It was the first time I had ever heard it. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Nunetta, one of our, our uh, women that's here. Um, and that was the first time I had ever heard that. But that's the church he went to. They only believe, and they, and from what I understood, they were eating it up. They were eating it up. It's pretty sad. So, if we go further, thankfully that's not what God thinks at all. He calls perfect copies of Scripture. He calls perfect copies Scripture, the inspired words of God. Read Second Second uh, Timothy three fifteen for yourself, and that thou from a child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Did Timothy have the originals? Of course not. He had copies of copies of copies, generations removed from the originals. But God calls them scripture. 
Look at what God said about these copies in the next verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for... I've got to go to another page here. And for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. The copies Timothy had inspired were scripture, the inspired words of God, through and through. But what if we add and remove a few words? Does that matter? What if we add and remove a few words? Absolutely. Listen to what God says. Every word of God is pure. Now this is Proverbs 35 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Well, the Bible also says in Revelation, I don't know if they give that verse. <laughs> Let's read that verse. The, the end, of the, end of, of the book upon which we as Christians hinge our lives and our faith and our destiny on says in verse 18, Revelation 22, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this, of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, and, and add unto this book, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Okay, now we're talking about the words of the prophecy of this book. Then he may shall add unto these things. Okay, what does the Amplified do? That's all the Amplified does, is it adds and adds and adds to the Word of God. Do you know how dangerous that is? It says that if you do that, you're going to add the plagues that are written in this book. Oh no, it doesn't do that. It just clarifies it with a greater ease. Whatever. Who are you to judge that? Who are you to judge God's word? You are on dangerous, incredibly dangerous ground when you do that. Verse 19 says, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. The book of life? The book of life is what you have to have your name in if you're saved. Is it possible to get your name taken out of it? Well, you know what this implies? It implies somebody was in the book. How could you, if you were never in the book? How could get, how could you get your name taken out of it? I don't know. I don't. You know. Hey, that's what the Bible says. And out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. That's pretty scary stuff. I mean, that's really scary stuff. This is how serious of a subject this is. Okay. And now the NIV has removed sixty-four thousand ninety-eight words. To be exact, that's just one version. Almost 10% of the total text. Yeah, but it wasn't me that removed the words. I was just reading it. But don't you think if you're reading a perverted Bible, it's going to affect you in a spiritual way? It has to. So, if we go further... For those who add the unbiblical doctrine that only the original manuscripts are inspired, God calls them liars. Scripture is not original manuscripts alone. It is a perfect copies and accurate translations of those originals. God himself said so. We can trust him. And thank God we have the scripture in English. Your King James Bible is scripture. It is accurately translated from perfect copies of God's words. You can know exactly what God said in your language. Just read and believe the King James Bible that you have. Yes, you can say it is scripture. But the people in your church need to know this. From childhood, people are being taught that they do not have the Bible, that they have just an air-ridden book that claims to be, resemble what God originally meant to write. We have a small booklet 
that is perfect for every member of your church, young and old. It is called, Why the King James Bible is the Perfect Word of God. In five easy fill-in-the-blank lessons, every member of your congregation and all your friends can know that they have God's Word in the English language. It is worth the small cost once a person believes he has the Scripture, the literal words of God that changes everything. Now this, to me, this is absolutely 100% totally foundational to our faith. If you don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that you can trust in it, what are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your faith in? Do you think that might affect some people's salvation maybe? Well, I don't really believe... Well, if you start questioning the Word of God and you start thinking it's a book of air-ridden things and things of this nature, and, and you have the right to do that if you have a perverted Bible... Um, like an NIV or American Standard or these other ones, what is your faith based on? The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him not anything made that was made. So, see, the Word was made incarnate, and He, he became flesh and dwelt among men. The Word being Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God. But this is His Word. This is how He communicates with us now, primarily. We have a completed Word of God called the King James Bible. If you don't even believe that's a Bible, what are you basing your faith off? How many people are going to go to hell because they didn't believe they had a Bible that was really accurate or, or really was, they just thought it was a bunch of stories? And See, that's how important this is. It's foundational to your faith. Um, there's another uh, verse in the Bible I want to go to that talks about um, these copies. If, if we go, there's a great example of this. If we go to Ezekiel, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah 36, and this is really something I really need to devote a whole teaching to, but I'm just going to hit the high points here. And um, there was a, uh, this is in regard to what we were just talking about before, about, you know, having the actual originals. Okay? Um, where it talks about in verse 2, well actually verse 1, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of jo Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do to them. See, God's going to warn them. That I may return every man from his evil way. And through this warning, hopefully people will repent. That I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. And if they repent, he forgives them of their iniquity and their sin. This is what God wanted. He didn't want to destroy them. Okay? So the purpose of God's word is, is many times to point out sin, to warn, guidance, to drive them to repentance, which will restore them to fellowship with God. Because God wanted to show them forgiveness. Okay, so, but notice, it says that he told Jeremiah, take the roll of a book and write therein the words. Well, aren't these the words of God we're talking about? Okay, we're talking about the words of God. So, it finally gets to a point where, um, um, it, let's, let's just jump all the way to verse 21. So the king sent Jehidu, to fetch the roll. This is the roll that we were just talking about in verse 2, where Jeremiah wrote these things. To fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehidu read it in the ears of the king. 
and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Okay, so this actual role ended up being read before the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. You can kind of picture this. You know? He's, it, it's, it's in the winter. There's this, probably this big fire in front of him. You know? In, in the winter, this hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehadu had read three or four leaves, in other words, he had read three or four leaves of, of, this, of this roll, okay, of like this scroll thing, he cut it with a penknife and cast it in the fire that was in the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. And then it says, And yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king, nor any of his servants that had heard these words. So, this is an example of having the original manuscript. Okay? And it gets thrown in the fire. So much for the originals. Okay? Well, what does God do about this? What is what is what does God do this? Verse 27, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah that the king had burned the roll. Now, in if you read this verse, you might think that, that this um, the guy that was reading this, Jehadu, who was reading this to the king. You're not 100% sure if he was the one that cast it in the fire of the king. But it says right here in verse 27, And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah that the king had burned the roll. And the words of Baruch. So in other words, as, as Jehidu is reading this to the king, this warning, here's what the king thinks about it. He starts cutting it up with a penknife, the word of God. Throwing it into the fire. Whew! Man. So the king defied God. Now remember, pride goeth before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And this king ruined it for everyone because judgment's going to come on the nation now. There's a high price for not obeying the word of the Lord. Um, these are just little notes that I had in there. And there was no fear of God because it said in verse 24, they were not afraid nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of the servants that had heard these words. But this would fulfill Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33 because their blood's not on Jeremiah or Jehadu's hands anymore. He's read this to the king, and here's what the king thinks about it. He cuts the thing up and throws it in the fire. They harden their hearts. There's no fear of God. There's no wisdom or discernment, obviously, either. So then in verse 27, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and after the king had burned the roll, the words of the Lord which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Now this is what God said again to Jeremiah. Take thee again another roll. Okay? And write on it all the former words that were on the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. See, God knows how to preserve his word. That's the whole point of this whole little tiny study we just did. God knows how to preserve his word. He's the one that made the sun come up today, and, and put the stars in the sky, and made the earth, and put breath in our body. I think he knows how to preserve his word. Okay? He's perfectly capable of that. But see, the scholars want to come and say, oh no, no, we're the only ones that, that, that are trustworthy to preserve God's word. These are guys that are devils, that are going to hell. And they're telling us to trust them? I don't think so. Um, if we go to verse 32, Then Jeremiah took another and gave it to Baruch, the scribe of the son of Nero, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book of 
Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and they were added besides unto them like many more. So he even added more to his own word. That's God's business. Okay, he can do that. The Bible was just a book in progress for, for many, many, many years. He added, it was adding one, one thing, one, one author, one chapter at a time. Okay, so anyway, that's just another little kind of side note there that I thought was a little bit interesting. Um... Let me just see if I covered all these points here. Yeah, okay, so if we go back to the Text Mars article, this part of the article is entitled Ghost Written Sermons for Ignorant Men. I have also discovered, this is from text, I have also discovered over the years that not one pastor in a thousand actually prepares his own weekly sermons. They're ghost-written for him. You see, by unseen and unknown teachers, apostate publishers put out or sell and distribute hundreds of canned, pre-printed sermons for dumbed-down pastors. Of course, don't ask the apostate pastors who spout all this drivel what it means. They are just readers, ignorant, lazy, serpent-following plagiarists of, written, of material written and published by other hirelings who also don't read the scriptures for themselves. Of course, at the most charismatic, misnamed full gospel churches today, the pastors don't even bother to use canned pre-printed sermons. They just come to the pulpit unprepared and depend on the unholy, disorderly spirit of confusion and chaos of dozens of people pretending to be super holy by speaking in tongues and being slain in the Holy Ghost. At all the same time, a gross violation of the Apostles' admonition in 1 Corinthians 14. Well, the Bible says, let everything be done in decency and in order. And if you're going to, and, and tongues were supposed to be done in a specific way, if they were biblical for that particular time, and the churches today aren't even doing that. They're throwing it all out the window. The Bible also says, lay hands suddenly on no man. They do a lot of that in Pentecostal churches too. I know, I've been there. Done it. Slain in the Spirit. Where's that in the Bible? Where's that? I don't see it anywhere in the New Testament. Then, the incompetent and slothful pastors pitch out, now this is in the Pentecostal churches, pitch out a 15 to 20 minute of occult psychobabble nonsense about positive confessions and prosperity thinking. They mix up they mix in a clamorous, windy bag of jived up sensuous rock music, and I know I've been there, seen it, and the people that leave the church all emotionally hyped up, imagining, imagining that they had really met God that day. It's unbelievable. But it's sad and it's wicked. But see, when everybody's doing it, and it's on TV, you start to think, well, this is, yeah, this is the way it is, man. This is great. But wait, in the midst of all this apostasy, even, of the con even as the congregation of the dead continue to spin out the devil's foolishness, there remains a true Christian church. The wicked and their leaders are great in number, and the world holds its filthy lucre pastors in high esteem. But the faithful people, I like to call the little people, men and women who pray and humble themselves before God, and who proclaim the power of the perfection of His Word, are still out there. True. Then does that mean that if you're part of that remnant, you th start, should start thinking you're a big shot and you're all better? You better not. I'm telling you right now. You do never, ever, ever want to do that because I'm telling you, pride goes before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. The Bible says that God seeks to dwell with those that are of a contrite and a meek spirit. And if you don't feel as though you have that, then you need to pray for it. Okay? 
Uh, and I'm not saying I'm Mr. Example here or anything like that. But I'm just saying that, that in the Bible, those are the ones the Lord hears their prayer, chooses to dwell with, and protects these types of things. And this is how you also get saved, by humbling yourself before the Lord and realizing the lost estate in which you're in, humbling yourself and getting saved. So if we go further, um, true, true, the, the people of the real and authentic Christian church are hated and despised by the pastors of the bigger Christian establishment churches. Usually, true Christian believers don't even have a church home. At least not a church where they go label Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, Seventh-day Adventist, Lutheran, or Assembly of God. They're not welcome at these places. But then, they do not desire to enter these big and rich sanctuaries of hell. It's exactly. I don't want to go there. I really don't. They don't have anything for me that I want. Instead, they recall and cherish the precious words of Jesus, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Okay, And this is what we're, we're doing here today. Just as vital, the true Christian... The true Christian does not need a popular group of Christian establishment fun and celebration entertainers, a showman in the pulpit, or an imposing cathedral of brick or glass or stone. The true Christian has Jesus Christ living in his own heart. He is drawn nigh to the Lord by, by, the, Lord's, by the Lord Jesus Christ's um, miraculous love. He or she is an overcomer. True Christians know what and who they are. They also know who the fakers and the pretenders are and are gifted with discernment to understand and appreciate the power of the mystery of godliness. And that's why I said before, if you're in one of these churches and you come out of one of these churches, your eyes will really be open once you're out. Because it's harder to see this if you're in it. It's like you're too close to the forest to see the trees. All of us in this room have been there and done it. And we wondered almost now why we hadn't come out of there sooner. But I'm telling you, it's a spiritual thing. When you're in one of these churches, look at that wind whipping up. Um, it's, uh, it's harder to, uh, it's, it's harder to see. It's like you're too close to the forest to see the trees. So, we go further. It says, instead they recall and cherish the precious words of Jesus, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Um, they don't confuse the big numbers and the dollars with the spiritual things of God. And see, that's the thing that should be a, a, a red flag. But most people see, oh, look at how God's blessed this church. This big, gigantic edifice. Wow, look at this. He's blessed. This must be where God dwells. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the exact opposite. And from a scriptural standpoint, you can prove it as well. I mean, when did Jesus ever have, you know, a big, gigantic church that he ever was pastor, or I guess at the time they call him rabbi, over? He never had that. The Bible says the Son of Man had nowhere to even lay his head. He didn't even have a house. And yet these prosperity preachers go around and act like, oh, he was walking around, he had all this money. Judas had the bag. They were walking in big money. Jesus had Rolexes and things like this. And, you know, it's just, it's asinine what these guys say. Today the world loves its own. And you will be much loved if you are an active member of Sodom and Egypt's big time tent and Christian establishment. Just remember, Satan's church will love you all right. It and its people will love a wicked person right to death. But Jesus and his, and his true Christian church, though they have no money to give you, no fame and no sensual delights to offer, will love you to life. That, dear friends, is the clear choice every, every person must make today. The choice between the establishment's sure death 
or and I'm not saying everybody that's in one of these churches is going to hell. Okay, I'm not gonna. I, we we were we all came out of these. I'm not gonna go for, so far as to say that. I'm just saying that if you're in one, you need to seriously consider leaving it. Okay, and pray. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, where else would I go?" Well, you know what? Your first choice you got to make is getting out of there. Your first choice is obedience. It doesn't matter where you're going to go. If you have to be by yourself and read your Bible, then that's what you're going to have to do. Because there's going to come a time in this country, and it may be in the very, very near future, where we may we where we may not be able to assemble together. It may be illegal, or or we may be thrown in prison, or whatever. So. One way or another, we're all going to be put in that position probably soon enough. That, dear friends, is the clear choice every person must make. The choice between the establishment, sure death, or Christ's guarantee of eternal life. And then he goes on to say, have you made your decision yet? Uh, do so quickly. Time may run out very soon. So that was, uh, that was Texas' take on this. And the last thing is another article by Dr. Dixon. So this next article is um, from Dr. Dixon. And again, all the, all the things that we're reading today kind of relate to the same subjects, um, you know, tie, kind of tie in together. So we're just getting a lot of different takes on, on these things. This is entitled, It's Official, The Preachers to be Used as the Judas Goats for FEMA. It's by Dr. Dixon, Greg Dixon. Uh, over 15 years ago, now this is him speaking, over 15 years ago this preacher stood on a tent platform at the summer camp meeting in Heritage Baptist University and gave a documented evidence to the attending pastors and evangelists that the day was coming when preachers would be used in a national emergency to calm people down. I warned that without federal credentials, preachers would not be able to pass through emergency barricades to preach to their congregations or to visit their members. And anyone who tried, to, who, anyone who tried would receive a shotgun blast in their belly. Now, notice he said without federal credentials... A preacher in today's country is going to receive those federal credentials via the 501c3 corporate status that they've taken. That's how they're going to receive their credentials. Okay. One of the leading pastors in the area followed me to the platform and extended a kind rebuke for such a sermon. That preacher, who was dear, precious friend of mine, is now with the Lord. However, we are still living in the, nas in the nasty now and now, and the time that I predicted has come. It's far worse than any of us realized at the time. That was just the tip of the iceberg. In this article, the, and the other one in the uh, issue of the trumpet, they, they, just, they have a, a newsletter called the trumpet that they put out every month, or every other month, I think. Uh, this, is, uh, this is dealing with the censorship of reading material in prisons in America, and we're beginning to see the big picture. All of my life I have heard on, of the Judas goat. In the slaughterhouse, it is, it is the goat that has been trained to associate itself with the sheep or the cattle. This is pretty interesting. And this goat leads them to slaughter while its own life is spared. I never knew about this. I never knew they had these in slaughterhouses. Judas goats are also used to lead other animals to specific pens or onto trucks for market. The term is in reference to the biblical trader Judas Iscariot. According to several new articles in the secular press, the federal government plans to use preachers of America in this role. In other words, the preacher befriends himself to his congregation, and they all trust him and think he's a great guy or whatever, and he's going to actually be the one leading them to slaughter. Isn't that what every preacher should do? I mean, what's that? Oh, yeah. You're yeah, right. I mean, you know, hey, that's what preachers should do, right? 
And and they do this hoping that they're dumbed down, um, uh, hoping they're dumbed down teaching on Romans 13 will do the trick. Which Romans 13 is the one they always use to justify saying that, you know, you need to obey the government no matter what. What if what if what the government's telling you is against the Bible? <laughs> Would you, are you supposed to obey a God than man? What, what are we supposed to do then? So, World Daily Net sounded the alarm on August 18th with the words, Testing the Faith. The headline said, Clergy used to quell dissent, program trains leaders to convince people to obey emergency orders. And we've already talked about this before, um, so I'm just going to go through this quickly. TV station reporter Jeff Fernell said, Clergy response teams have already been used when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Emergency preparedness director Sandy Davis explained that the clergy would already be known to people in the neighborhoods and they could explain they need to follow orders. This TV station has discovered that clergy would help the government with the potential of their biggest problem, us. The report said, uh, Dural Tuberville, chaplain of the Shreveport Fire Department, said the team's mission settlement was, quote, let's cooperate and get this thing over, and then we'll settle the differences once the crisis is over. So government orders to abandon homes, turn over guns, leave livestock behind, or whatever else would come to the minds of various officials during a, quote, emergency, would be easier for people to accept that report indicated if it was a pastor telling them to do it, a pastor that they trusted. One of the biggest tools the clergy members would use would be the Bible itself, specifically Romans 13, where Tuberville says the Bible states, quote, the government established by the Lord, you know, and that's what we believe in the Christian faith, and that's what's stated in the scripture, end of quote. So, in other words, evidently Hitler was okay with what he was doing, because that was a government, and whatever he told you to do is okay, right? Well, that's about how bad we're at, we're at right now in America. We're just about on that verge. Civil rights advocates have raised questions about the idea of using clergy in such a fashion, noting the balance of clergy would have to maintain when asked to do. Noting the balance of clergy would have to maintain when asked to do what the government wants under the color of their status as a religious leader. Uh, a blogger for the Christian education site Chalcedon noted that the train that has been going on has already been going on for over a year. Well, actually, it's been going on for a lot longer than that. So, see, this is the problem. The chickens are coming home to roost. You took that status, you took that 501c3 status, and now there's going to be a price to pay. You're going to have to fall in line with Homeland Security and be used to quell dissent and, use, and, and be used to, to, to lead the sheep to the slaughter. See, God's never going to let any of us as Christians just be stagnant in one position. You're either going to have to get hot or cold. You're going to be forced in that position. Because God hates lukewarm things. Lukewarm so-called Christians. The reporter also said that, quote, the clergy are being advised to use Romans 13 to encourage parishioners to submit to the sudden and massive expansion of government control that takes place during martial law. Now, if you want to know more about Romans 13, I've got whole studies we've done on this on the internet um, where we go into that in depth. We know that many pastors came forth after Hitler and Stalin... This is interesting. We know that many pastors came forth after Hitler and Stalin regimes and confessed that they had been double agents. They done confessed it. While they had served their congregations in their pastoral duties, they at the same time served their socialistic and communistic masters as spies on their own flocks. We now have the well-established documentation that a communist was 
was the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Moscow. And associate pastors who were communists served communion, baptized converts, and performed marriages. Why should we be surprised if they have infiltrated even our fundamental Baptist churches here in America? They, you know what? They're that by, by default, pretty much. Most of them never even got any kind of sound doctrine at the cemeteries. I mean, the seminaries they went to. They took on their 5013C status. They don't even believe the Bible is the Word of God. They, they, they believe it's in, either in the original manuscripts or, or the Greek or Hebrew scholarly men know better than we do. What, what foundation do they have? Now, this is why the Bible talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. Okay? And also hirelings. They're doing it for the money. In December of 1998, three of us unregistered Baptist preachers, all having been formerly in the Bible Baptist Fellowship International, were given the opportunity to present the incorporation issue. This is the church incorporation issue, how bad it is when you incorporate your church. They were given the opportunity to go and uh, to Bible Baptist Fellowship International, which is BBFI, um, and give them this presentation. During the proceedings, a past president of the fellowship, a highly respected individual, stood up and said, quote, The IRS is our friend. Internal Revenue Service. The statement went unchallenged, except for myself who had the floor. This man had pastored one of the largest churches in the BBFI and had been one of our most respected ministers for many years. It's difficult to believe that a man of his knowledge and experience could possibly be that naive. However, he was one of those who influenced the BBFI to work out a deal with the IRS, which is what you do when you take that 501c3 status, you're working out a deal with the IRS. Why? So we can have our tax-exempt status, so we can have prestige, so people can write it off on their taxes. What's your motivation for giving the money? Is it to be seen of men? To have it recorded in some register somewhere? And to have the IRS be able to write it off on your taxes? Verily you have your reward, is how Jesus put it. Uh, the, the IRS has done more to bring the church into, into bondage than just about any other thing, because they're the, they're the main bondage within the corporate status of these 501c3 churches. They're the ones that revoke your, your status, and then you can also get subsidies from the government and these types of things. It's, it's always about money, prestige, you know, these types of things. So... They worked, this man worked out a deal with the IRS to create a member church relationship for churches listed in the BBFI directory with IRS approval and recognition some years ago. IRS approval. Do you think the IRS doesn't go against the Bible in a lot of different ways? We've done whole studies on that, and, and you can reference those. This is the main reason that the Indianapolis Baptist Temple was forced to remove their name from the directory. It was a legal as well as a doctrinal issue for us, although in our opinion there is not really an appreciable difference. Um, <clears throat> the following information should be sufficient to show that the goal to use the pastors of America's pawns in the New World Order started many years ago. It should also give proof that the information that we have been sharing with our readers for several years concerning the 1998 secret White House meeting laying out five-pronged plan to eliminate all uncooperative churches is beginning to make sense. The entire plan may be found in the 2000 Power of Prophecy newsletter authored by Tex Mars um, in Austin, Texas, and a mini-version can be found in the July-August 2001 Trumpet Archives. And 
These are at unregisteredbaptistfellowship.com. Unregisteredbaptistfellowship.com. You can find all their archives. And that was the July-August 2001 trumpet. It can also be found on page 78 of the book Trail of Blood Revisited. Now, I can, if you email me, I'll send you this whole packet that lays all this out for you. And all these things that we're talking about here. Because we've gotten all these things individually and we don't have time to, to go into everything individually today. Um... Things are moving so fast we can't begin to keep up with everything, but we will try to keep things um, posted on their website that I just mentioned. A pastor who graduated from Temple Baptist College, which at one time was operated by Indianapolis Baptist Temple, has just been released from federal prison, including serving a three-year sentence for a so-called crime similar to Dr. Kent Hoven. Now, what? Uh, it was basically an IRS issue in the church. And see, that's the thing, is, is if, you, if you take on... Um, a corporate status as a church, you better be real careful. Because if you start speaking out on issues like this, like what we're doing today, they can come and, they, and the IRS can make your life miserable. Miserable, miserable. And this guy got thrown in prison for it. He's still on three years supervised release. The following email was from just September 11, 2007, tells of his own words of pressure that he has received a spy on his own congregation for the government. See, this is where this is all coming to. You will notice that the recruitment of getting pastors to spy on their members, the authorities are apparently picking up the most vulnerable first. Now, one of the ways they can spy is just by keeping track of your giving. If you're giving a lot of money and, and they're preaching on tithing, they have an idea of what your total income is. And if you're lying to the IRS, then they can come back. and That's one of the ways they can spy on you. But there's a lot more. It's it's, some, it's hard for me sometimes to feel sorry, though, for people that just stay in this. You know? You're in this thing, and if you, if you especially if you know better, we're going to find out soon enough. We're going to start to see the true colors of these pastors, of the people in these churches. We're going to see it. We really are. In our, I believe in our lifetime, we really are going to start to see true colors. This, go, this article, this uh, letter... Uh, then he ends by saying, you will notice in the recruitment of, uh, of getting the pastors to spy on their members, the authorities are apparently picking on the most vulnerable first. This man goes on to say in this letter, Dear Brother Dixon, as for myself, I'm doing what I can. The church has stuck by me through all this. The IRS was upset all through the trial because our church is not a 501c3 government-controlled church. We don't have a bank account. And according to their words, the IRS's words, we have no information about them. And we have no control over them. End of quote. You know what the IRS is? The IRS, in, in 1913, um, when, when we had formed the Federal Reserve Act, 1913, which basically, uh, president of that time said, I have unwittingly ruined my country when they made the Federal Reserve Act. Because it was at that time, our currency started to be printed by a privately owned banking institution called the Federal Reserve. There's nothing federal about the Federal Reserve. It's a privately owned banking institution, essentially owned by the 13 families of the Illuminati or the International Monetary Fund. When you start to print money with nothing backing it, that causes hyperinflation. That inflation has to be paid back. They took us off the gold standard of 1933 and off the silver standard totally in 1968. There's nothing backing our money. And the IRS was the private debt collection arm for the Federal Reserve to create to collect 
money to pay off the interest on a debt that we could never pay off because there was nothing of substance backing our money anymore. The IRS is a privately owned corporation via the Federal Reserve, the International Monetary Fund, and the 13 families of the Illuminati in order to collect these taxes. That's what the IRS is. So the IRS was mad here because this church wasn't a 501c3 government-controlled church. They didn't have a bank account. And according to their words, the IRS's words, we have no information about them and we have no control over them. End of quote. As if it's a bad thing. Because the IRS wants to have total control over you in every single way, shape, or form. That's their goal. Then he goes on to say, so now my parole officer, a Jewish lady, views me as an anti-Semite and a white supremacist. And is doing all she can to make things hard on me. She wanted the names and social security numbers of the church members and of anyone else who sends me a gift. Well, we get, um, I, I guarantee anybody that would send this ministry anything, there's going to be no record of it. <laughs> so, um, But that's what they were wanting. Names and social security numbers of anyone who sends them a gift. Why? Because it's all about control. You lay down with the devil. Now, he didn't lay down with the devil. But see, the problem is, is that when you have an official church with a building, you generally are some type of corporation. So regardless of if you don't even take that 501c3 status, they're going to many times lump you into that no matter what. You can call yourself unincorporated. You can call yourself a corporate soul. You can call... Unfortunately, if the IRS sees that you have this dedicated church building and this, and this thing going on that you call a church, many times they'll come in and just lump you into that category and do it for you. That's why I like home Bible studies. For that very reason. Among other things. So, it says, she wanted the names of social security numbers of the church members and anyone else who sends them a gift. Rather than disclose such information, I've been returning all gifts. I'd rather be poor than report to the Christian's then report the Christians to Babylon. Now, that kind of confused me because if he didn't have a personal bank account to deposit, like let's say he was getting checks sent to him, if he didn't have a personal bank account, which I don't advise having, I'll be honest with you, I don't. I don't advise having it. I don't have one. If he didn't have a personal bank account to deposit these checks into, then there would really be no record. Okay? There's other ways you can cash checks, in other words. So, anyway, that's a whole other rabbit trail. I don't have time to go down. But Then he says, I still strongly oppose the modern Bible translated from the corrupted Alexandrian texts, which is Westcott and Hort, revised version of 1881. And strangely enough, I even more strongly hold now the view that the worldly governments are controlled by Satan, by God's permission, of course. Your brother in Christ, name with hell for obvious reasons. If anyone would like to give a gift to this brother that is mentioned above, feel free to send it to him through the trumpet. Um... His, web, his email is stillpreaching, S-T-I-L-L-P-R-E-A-C-H-I-N, stillpreaching at msn.com. He's currently staying with church members. Uh, his wife has left him, and their two children. Um, his wife left him and their two children, who were cared for by his parents during the incarceration. Many, 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 many men of God that will take stands their wives will leave them in today's day and age. I'm not being hard on women. I'm being, I'm being factual. I'm being factual. Uh, I've seen that happen quite a bit. Guy takes a stand for on these issues, and the wife, 
shows their true colors. And I'm not saying this is an indictment to women. I'm just saying it happens a lot. Okay, um, it's happened to a lot of preachers, unfortunately. And at some point, you know, the devil's doing that to see, okay, who are you going to serve? Are you willing to lose your wife and your family over these? Or if it's a biblical issue, you know, we're these situations that we're put into sometimes are very, very incredibly tough. And uh, you know, only through the Lord could you get through them. So I'm going to go ahead and just close this out today with that, and um, I'll close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and time that you've given us, this letting us come together, Lord, for another session. Pray, Lord God, wherever your word is being preached worldwide, Lord God, that you would bless it, that you would strengthen the men of God, the women of God, that the fear of God would be upon the body of Christ and upon the unsaved of the world, Lord God, that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, or form. Lord God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Pray, Lord God, that we would come before you, Lord God, with meekness and sincerity. That, Lord God, we would re truly repent of our sins. That you would use the body of Christ in a mighty way to lead many people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That many would be saved through these teachings. Through everything that you're going to do, Lord God, through the body of Christ. I pray that thy name be glorified. We claim Psalm 64, Lord God, over the wicked evil entities, Lord God, that emanate and operate through so many of the schemes that we just even talked about this day. For we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes and principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. We, this is our true spiritual battle. We claim Psalm 64, Lord God, and pray that you would overthrow the wicked, and these wicked evil entities, I pray, God, that if it be possible, you'd save the souls of the wicked, Lord God. But if they're not going to repent, Lord, if they're just going to continue in their wickedness, in the name of Jesus Christ, and bring more people to hell, I pray, God, they'd be overthrown. I pray to God they'd be dealt with. And we claim Psalm 64 of them. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword, and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of lane of snares privily. They say, Who shall see them? They search out iniquities, they accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded, so they shall make their own tongues to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear, and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad, and the Lord shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. I pray, God, that thy name be glorified, that you that we continually remember to put on the full arm of God every day and to speak the word of God in the name of Jesus Christ, to use the sword of the Spirit against the wicked one. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.